I'd like you to turn in your Bibles this morning all the way to the last book in the Bible. The book of Revelation, easiest book to find, all the way at the end. And we're going to look at Revelation chapter 11 this morning. A fascinating passage on last day prophecy. Lord, we turn our attention now to your word. I pray that you'd give us understanding, give us warning, give us encouragement. Lord, I pray that we would take advantage of the opportunities you give us day in and day out. Bless our time together. We believe this is your very word, and we want to hear from you in Jesus' name. Amen. So we have been studying the life of Moses for last several months here on Sunday morning. Moses is one of the greatest leaders in the history of Israel, a great man of God. The details of his life are recorded in the Old Testament, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, great man of God. Moses died at the age of 120 years old, as recorded in Deuteronomy chapter 34. But as we saw last week, Moses is very much alive and well. 1,400 years after his death, he shows up on the Mount of Transfiguration with Elijah the prophet and Jesus. And we studied that last time together. And this morning, we learned that Moses, again, the real Moses, is going to be back in action in the future. Now, the book of Revelation is a book that gives us last day prophecies. And most of the book of Revelation speaks forward, speaks about these final seven years of history that are known as the tribulation period. Right now, we're in the church age. One day, Jesus will come for the church in an event called the rapture. It can happen at any moment. After the rapture of the church, the world goes into a seven-year tribulation period where an antichrist comes on the scene, makes peace, but then breaks the peace, and it is a terrible time of history that's coming to this planet. Moses plays a significant role in that time period. Look at the vision that John mentions here in verse 1, Revelation chapter 11. He says, Then I was given a reed like a measuring rod. And the angel stood saying, rise and measure the temple of God, the altar, and those who worship there. But leave out the court, which is outside the temple. Do not measure it, for it's been given to the Gentiles. And they will tread the holy city underfoot for 42 months. And I will give power to my two witnesses. 
and they will prophesy 1,260 days, clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands standing before the God of the earth. So please notice, it predicts that two very powerful witnesses are going to come on the scene during this tribulation period. God calls them my two witnesses. They're very, very powerful. And these two witnesses will be operating in a very specific place during the tribulation period. You notice that a temple is mentioned in verse 1 and 2. John's given a measuring rod to measure this temple. Now, what temple would that be? It has to be a Jewish temple. The Jewish temple that will be on the Temple Mount in the old city of Jerusalem. Now, if you go there today and you look, you won't find a temple. You will find a mosque. You'll find the Golden Globe. You've seen pictures of that. One of the third holiest places for Islam. Well, the Old Testament prophecies that look ahead and many of the New Testament prophecies, like here in Revelation indicate that a temple will be rebuilt one day on that temple mount. You wonder, well, how are they going to do that with that mosque there? Well, most believe this Antichrist that comes on the scene will make that happen, where both can exist on that temple mount at the same time and bring peace. These two witnesses will operate there. That will be their base of operations. These two guys will not tour Israel. They will not go on a world tour. They'll stay put right on that temple mount. All the world will know about them. Cameras will be on them. Now notice the timing element. It says in the end of verse 2, they will tread the holy city underfoot for 42 months. That's exactly three and one half years. These two witnesses will be operating for 1,260 days. It says that specifically. That's three and a half years, 42 months times 30 days per month. 1,260 days. So these two witnesses will be operating on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem for exactly three and one half years. Now, students of last day prophecy, you know that that final seven-year tribulation period is actually divided into two equal parts. Three and a half years, three and a half years. The whole seven year is known as the tribulation period, the final three and a half years is known as the great tribulation. So it seems that these guys will be no doubt prophesying, operating there in Jerusalem during that first three and a half year block. Now, what are they going to be doing? Verse 3, I will give power to my two witnesses, and they will what? They will prophesy. 
they will be dressed in sackcloth. I picture these two guys looking just like you might think Old Testament prophets will look. They'll be dressed in these clothing that mark mourning. And they'll be prophesying. Now when we think of prophecy, a lot of times we think of what's going to happen in the future. But remember, the biggest part of prophecy is simply proclaiming God's word to that generation. These two will be preaching. They will be preaching the gospel. They will be speaking to the generation of that time. God's word. And they will be empowered by the Holy Spirit. The two lampstands, the two olive trees. It reminds you of the vision that Zechariah had of the menorah in the temple being constantly sustained with olive oil coming straight from the olive trees and those lamps always lit. That's a picture of the Holy Spirit. These witnesses, these prophets, will be empowered by the Holy Spirit and they will preach and teach in that temple area for three and a half years. Now, how do you think the world's going to react to them? Well, I think very much like the world has reacted to prophets and men and women of God throughout history. There are going to be some that will respond to their message and turn to Christ. There are going to be others that will laugh at them and mock them. Just like they did to Noah in the days before the flood. Remember, he's making the ark. He's preaching to the generation around him. Noah was marked mercilessly. But he got on the boat, and God shut the door, and he and his family were saved. There'll be people that will mock these two prophets. I can see the late night shows with cameras. What did the two prophets say today? making fun of them. There will also be a group of people that want to kill them, take them out, assassinate them. But those guys will be in big trouble if they try, for look what it says in verse 5. If anyone wants to harm them, fire proceeds from their mouth and devours their enemies. And if anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this manner. So if you go after these two, you're going to get barbecued. These two very special witnesses will be divinely sheltered, protected. Now when it says fire comes out of their mouth, I don't think you take that literal. I don't think they're going to be like human dragons human flame flowers. I think they'll be able to call fire down from heaven. Fire will come. They will be protected. Nobody will be able to touch them. And look what else these two will be able to do. Look at verse 6. These have power to shut heaven so that no rain falls in the days of their prophecy... 
And they have power over waters to turn them to blood and to strike the earth with all plagues as often as they desire. Whoa. Two guys preaching in the temple for three and a half years, divinely protected and working spectacular miracles. Fire coming down from heaven, being able to pray and there's no rain. Water being turned into blood. Plagues being called forth upon the earth at that time. So they'll have this power. God will do miracles in and through them to validate their message. To prove that they are from God and filled with the power of God. So... With that information, who are these two witnesses? Can they be anybody? Will people be able to apply for the job? You know, I've actually met a couple of crazies over my life as a pastor that they say, Terry, I'm one of the last two witnesses. And I've been very disappointed. Who are these two guys? I think without any doubt, and, and you know, nobody can be dogmatic, but from my personal opinion and others, this is Moses and Elijah the prophet back in action. And I say that for four reasons. The miracles that are performed then are very similar to the miracles they performed When they were around. You know, when Elijah the prophet was in action, he called fire down from heaven. Remember the prophets of Baal and Mount Carmel? Also, Elijah was the prophet who would pray for the rain to stop and it would stop. And then when Moses was in action, he turned water into blood and he called forth plagues that came down upon the Egypts the Egyptians and Pharaoh. So very similar miracles. I also believe it's Moses and Elijah because this is a fulfillment to specific prophecies. In the book of Malachi, prophecy says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. That's a prophecy in the Old Testament. Before the great day of the Lord... I'll send you Elijah the prophet. Do you know to this day, at the Passover meal, Jews leave one place setting open. And who's that for? It's for Elijah. They're waiting for Elijah to come back. There was a prophecy also given about Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 18. I will raise up for them a prophet like you, Moses, from among their brethren, and I'll put my words in his mouth. And he shall speak to them all that I commanded him. Now, Moses was a type of Jesus who would come later. But because of that prophecy in Deuteronomy chapter 18, many Jewish scholars are expecting a Moses-like figure to come on the scene. So I see prophecy pointing to those two guys. 
Also, both Moses and Elijah had strange circumstances surrounding their death. Elijah the prophet went to heaven in a very different way than most people. He didn't die. A chariot of fire took him to heaven. Now Moses died like all people died, but you remember there was controversy over his gravesite. Like the location of his body was kept secret. So you have prophecies being fulfilled, similar miracles, and strange circumstances around their death. But number four, I believe it's Moses and Elijah because there's precedence. Moses and Elijah already came back one time, didn't they? We studied it last week. Moses and Elijah met Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. So I think all those point to Moses and Elijah. Can you imagine those two guys alive and well on planet Earth? Being used by the Lord in such dramatic ways in those times of tribulation. It will be radical. God will use them in mighty ways. Now, their mission will come to an end. Dramatically. When the 1,260 days are up, look at what we read in verse 7. When they finish their testimony, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit, that's code name for Antichrist, will make war against them, overcome them, and kill them. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which is spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where our Lord was crucified. Where was our Lord crucified? What city? Jerusalem. Then those from the peoples, tribes, tongues, and nations will see their dead bodies three and a half days and not allow their dead bodies to be put into graves. So this is going to really happen. The Antichrist will be allowed to kill Moses and Elijah. They'll be killed probably on live TV. Their bodies will lie in the streets for three and a half days. Nobody will be able to touch the bodies. They won't be able to bury them. The text says that the nations and tribes and tongues of the entire world, all people, will see their three bo- their two bodies lying in the streets for three and a half days. Everyone will see this. And then we have a very eerie verse, verse 10. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them. Make merry. Send gifts to one another. Because the two prophets tormented those who dwell on the earth. Now, you might be tempted to use that on your Christmas card. Don't. But at that time, there's going to be a large, significant portion of the world that will be happy that these two men are dead. They'll be making merry. 
They'll be sending presents to each other. It sounds like some kind of weird satanic Christmas, huh? Unbelievable that a world can hate so much true men of God. But much of the world will hate them and rejoice at their death. But watch what happens, verse 11. Now after the three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them and they stood on their feet and great fear fell on those who saw them. Can you just picture that? They stand to their feet. They're raised from the dead. In front of the world. Then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, come up here. And they ascended to heaven in a cloud. And their enemies saw them. In the same hour, verse 13, there was a great earthquake and a tenth of the city fell. In the earthquake, 7,000 people were killed, and the rest were afraid and gave glory to the God of heaven. What a dramatic passage. What an incredible thing God is going to be doing in trying to get the attention of the whole world. Now those two witnesses, Moses and Elijah, they're very, very special. And they will be used by God in incredible ways at that time. But we Christians today also have a lot of similarities with those two witnesses. Those two witnesses came on the scene to witness to preach for 1,260 days. My friend, listen. Right now, we live in the church age. And if you're a born-again Christian, you are called to be a witness. You're to see the mission of your life as being a witness for Jesus Christ. Jesus told us before he left in Matthew 28, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Please understand, that is not just for missionaries. That is not just for pastors. If you are a born-again Christian, you are to be a witness. You're not here to be a part of whatever career that you're, you know, that shouldn't define who you are. If God has called you to be an accountant, that's great, but you're an accountant witness for Jesus Christ. To share Jesus in your office, to share Jesus with the people that you know and love. Wherever God has placed you, you're to be a witness. And listen, just like those two witnesses were empowered, so are we. Jesus told his apostles in Acts 1, 
you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Every born-again Christian is a temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives in you, and the Holy Spirit seeks to empower you to witness, to share with others. And by the way, just as the Lord did miracles through Moses and Elijah and will do miracles, he still does miracles through his people today to validate their message. The Lord moves through the prayers of his people. Christians still go into hospitals and place their hands on the sick and pray for healing. Praying for people. Meeting people in their needs. You know, yesterday was a miracle at this church. All that God did. All the divine appointments. All the setups. We are called to be spirit-empowered witnesses for Jesus Christ. And we have just that, that set time to do it. This little life that we have here in light of eternity. Think of it, how short this life is. Now there's something else to understand. The two witnesses in the last days were severely persecuted. The world came after them. The world mocked them. The world sought to do them harm. And so that will be true of every Christian witness. And you need to expect that going into it. You know, when you decide that you're going to get serious and live for Christ and, 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 and be a witness for him, there's going to be some people that will come against you. Jesus made this promise in John chapter 15. He said, if the world hates you, you know it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word which I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. It just comes with it. We are made a promise in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Yes, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. In fact, you can know how salty you are. Have you ever been persecuted for your faith? Has anybody ever come against you because of your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and your witness for him? Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, Woe to you when all men speak well of you. For so did their fathers to the false prophets. So understand that we are called to be witnesses. And one of the ways you can find out if you are an effective witness or not is if you are being persecuted. Now, you will also be used by God to lead people to salvation. To be a spokesperson for God. Yes, there's going to be persecution. 
But there's so much joy in allowing God to use your life to touch other people. So you will face persecution, but just like those two witnesses that are coming in the future, they were divinely protected for 1,260 days. Listen, there was a shield about them. No one would touch them. And I also believe as Christians, we're in a shield. God has given us so much time. And we are divinely protected. You won't go to heaven one minute sooner than you're supposed to. And you, you won't stay here one minute longer than you're supposed to. God's hand is upon you. And just like those two witnesses that are coming in the future, even after death, they're raised. They're ascended. The Lord says, come up here. So too will every Christian experience that same process. Gang, if you've served the Lord and you die and you're a born-again Christian, the Bible is very clear. Your spirit goes to be with the Lord. Your body will be placed in a grave. The real you will be with Jesus. And then the Bible teaches that there's coming a day when Jesus will come again for the church. And when he does, there's going to be a trumpet that blows. And all that have died in the Lord will be raised. Those that have gone before us will be reunited with a brand new glorified body. And those that are alive on planet earth when that happens, if you're a born again Christian, you're going to be raptured. You're going to be snaptured. You're going to be snatched out of this planet just before that tribulation begins. And I love how... Paul writes of that and describes that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says, now this I say, brethren, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery, Paul says. We shall not all sleep, we shall not all die, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruption has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death... Where's your sting? Oh, Hades, where's your victory? Jesus is victorious over death. And he has a glorious future plan for his people, which includes resurrection, reunion with his people, brand new bodies. So be a hard worker for him. Be a witness for him. Leave it all on the court for him. My grandpa had a, had a horrific dream once on my mom's side. It woke him up. He was terrified. In his dream, he had died. 
And by the way, this dream changed his life. In his dream, he had died, and he's walking towards the gates of heaven. And as he gets closer and closer to the gates of heaven, the doors start to shut. And it's getting closer and closer, and he starts running closer and closer. And right at the very last second, he slipped in. And he woke up in a cold sweat. And he determined that night, I don't want to just slip into heaven. I want to enter heaven with the gates wide open. Knowing that I left it all on the court. That I did what God called me to do. And my grandpa changed from that day forward. We want to do the same. You know, I see in this incredible story also these days that are coming that even in the tribulation period when there's all this suffering and hardship, you will see God reaching out to the planet in dramatic ways, sending Elijah and Moses. Our God reaches out to people to get people's attention. In the most dramatic of ways. But there are people that will ignore him to the bitter end. There are people that will mock his people to the bitter end. But then there are some. Who will turn to him. And have their lives change. Listen, God is reaching out to people right now. Through his church. The message of the gospel goes forth today. Here at Christmas time, we remember the most amazing thing ever done in history. God gave his only son. God the son left heaven, became man, became a baby. God is a baby. Took upon human flesh, partook of our air, lived life the way we live life without sin. Experienced all of the conditions in a fallen world. And he came to pay the price for the sins of the world. To take upon himself our sins. He died. He rose again. He's alive. He's able to save. And the gospel message goes forth all over the world. Sometimes dramatically. Sometimes just through the very patient, loving witness of a friend or a family member. Will you mock that? Will you be opposed to that? Or will you receive them? Let's bow our heads. Let's share a few moments together. Lord, you have your people, you have your people stationed strategically all over this planet. You have your people stationed strategically right here in El Paso, in this community. Lord, you've changed our lives. And I pray that you would use our lives to change other lives. 
Lord, if we call ourselves your people, if we call ourselves Christians this morning, I pray, Lord, that we would be willing to share you with others, to live for you. To be willing to suffer persecution. Knowing that your hand of protection is upon us. You have good things planned for us. You want to use our lives. And you have a glorious future waiting. So, Lord, I pray that you would call those back to yourself. Those who know you but have not been serving you, call them back to yourself. Right now, right here at this service. And then, Lord, I also want to pray for anyone here this morning who has not yet received salvation by faith. Maybe that's you. Ah, you've heard the Christmas story time and time again. Friends have shared with you time and time again. But have you received Jesus? Has it become real for you? Jesus really did come and die for you and rise again. And Jesus one day really is coming again. Will you be ready for him? If you have not yet opened your heart to Jesus, I want to invite you to do so. Just a simple prayer of faith where you surrender your life to God. You admit your need for him. That you need your sins to be forgiven, to be washed away. If that's you, I'm going to lead you in that prayer right now, just in the quietness of your heart. You say, Lord, I know that I am a sinner and I need you. And I know that you've been reaching out to me. And this morning, right now, I surrender. I'm going to stop running. Right now, I ask you to take my life, take my heart. Be my Lord and Savior. Thank you for dying on the cross for me and rising again. Fill me with your spirit. Make me one of your witnesses and use my life for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Stand with us. We'll close with this last song together.